It's about you, your health, your family, and your community. This is Sunday Morning Magazine with your host, Rodney Lear. And good morning. Welcome to Sunday Morning Magazine. Hope you're having a blessed weekend. Approximately 27% of U.S. children live with a chronic health condition that affects their daily lives and normal activities. And many studies suggest that that percentage is on the rise. Chronic illnesses in children lead to high rates of school absences, frequent doctor and hospital visits, countless medical treatments and therapies. This morning is our first show in a two-part series on parenting a child with a chronic illness. So how do you manage your child's chronic illness while balancing the demands of a full-time job? And what impact is your child's chronic illness having on your family especially your other children? And how do you cope with seeing your child in constant pain? Here this morning to talk about it, we're joined by a panel of four parents who are all raising a child with a chronic illness. Lisa has a 16-year-old daughter diagnosed with sickle cell disease. Keith has a two-year-old daughter diagnosed with a severe form of juvenile arthritis. Heather is living with a chronic illness herself and raising several children with chronic illnesses of their own. Sumi has a teenage son diagnosed with Crohn's disease. To join the conversation this morning, head to our Facebook page, Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear. Head there now, like us there now, and join in on the conversation. And remember, you can now listen to the show anytime using your favorite podcast app. Subscribe to Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear. Go to Podcast One or the iTunes Store. It's my pleasure to welcome Sumi, Lisa, Keith, and Heather to Sunday Morning Magazine. Thanks all right. For Thanks for, for having, having us. us. Good all morning. Right. Now, first of all, very briefly, tell us about the illness, the chronic illness that your child was diagnosed with. Um, we know that you're not medical professionals, um, but I'm sure that you've become in your own right an expert in this disease that your child is facing. Um, but very briefly, tell us about the the illness that your child was diagnosed with. And we'll start with Keith. All right. My daughter's name is Isabella. And she was diagnosed with JRA, juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, at the age of 15 months, so at a very young age. And what that disease does is it causes swelling around the joints. Um, she's on a multiple of medications. It's a immune suppressant medication, so it monitors her swelling on all levels. She was affected in her eyes, her wrists, ankles, knees, hips, and back. And it was a very scary thing not knowing what the disease was at first because she just had a fever for like three days. And we were like, let's take her to the pediatrician, see what's going on, you know. So we took her there, and it turned out, you know, they they were like, "Uh, something else is going on here. Let's take you down to Children's and get her checked out. And long story short, we had to put her under. They had to do a full body MRI. So it was a very, very scary thing with, you know, having a child – super young and it was it's my wife's first child and um so we were like all right what what's really going on you know waiting for the I think it was like 12 doctors it was a whole team that we we're waiting on the news from and they just diagnosed her with JRA okay. and so we were like you know for me it was kind of a relief in a sense because I knew it was treatable I knew it wasn't life threatening and so I kind of took it on as that challenge you know what I mean and I was like the father in me is like all right Here's what we have to do. This is these are the adjustments we have to make, and you know, kind of comfort my wife and say, "Look, we can get through this." You know, all right. that's my daughter's story. Okay, okay. <laughs> right, all right, all right. Lisa, your daughter, and how old is your daughter now? 
Uh, my daughter is Simone. She's 16 years old. Um, all African-American children are tested at birth for sickle cell anemia. So we found out one week after she was born that she has sickle cell SS, which is the worst form of sickle cell. I wouldn't say she has the worst case because every case is different. Um, but she's been dealing with this. I was sharing with the group a little while ago. She just changed her therapy uh, from transfusion therapy that she was on for 12 years, um, every four weeks getting blood transfusions to help maintain her sickle cell. Um, She had an abnormal transcranial Doppler, which is a brain ultrasound that lets them know if she has a likelihood of having a stroke, which she did. Um, So that hasn't changed. Um, Just the form of treatment has advanced a little bit. She's now taking hydroxyurea which is the medication um, that used to treat cancer patients. Not really sure if it still does or not, but that's what they're using for sickle cell patients now to try and um, increase their fetal hemoglobin. Within the first six months of of life, they have fetal hemoglobin. They don't have any type of symptoms with sickle cell because of the fetal hemoglobin. And fetal hemoglobin is, um, it helps your blood be a little bit more round, plump. They move through your body better um, versus the sickle cell blood cells are crescent shaped, they're hard, they're sticky, they get clogged and that's what causes the pain which doesn't allow it to move oxygen through their body so at 16 um, she's a typical teenager, I try my best to you know, live a, a normal life um, but her life is far from normal um, but she does a good job trying to learn and advocate for herself Alright, let's move on to Heather. Now Heather you have a unique situation in more than Five ways, I would say. Uh, so you you have you too were born with a chronic illness, and you have five children that all have chronic illnesses. Um, instead of going into each and every one of their scenarios, give me an overview of the disease. So um, we have a host of things. I actually have six children total, and uh, my youngest daughter, um, because of the age that they actually diagnose one of the illnesses that they have, which is called Ehlers-Danlos. Um, they don't diagnose until you're five. So she's three years old, and we see signs of it, but not sure that she has it or not. Mm. Um, but I have three children who um, have gastrointestinal feeding tubes as their sole source of nutrition um, because they have a variety of illnesses. Um, the main condition is the Ehlers-Danlos, and then they also have uh, one of my chi- one child has uh, something called um, eosinophilic gastroenteritis where basically um, food is as if it were a parasite that you would ingest, like if you're out on a lake or something and you ingest a parasite. So basically it's inflammation um, within his GI tract, and they're called eosinophils. They're a white blood cell that should not be anywhere in your GI tract, and so he's riddled with them, and it causes um, a host of issues from um, diarrhea and constipation and vomiting and any of the GI stuff that you would see with a parasite. Um, and then I also have a son who is pretty significantly um, disabled. Um, he has Chiari malformation in his brain, and he also has uh, two syrinxes on his spine, which are basically like pseudotumors. And so they act like a tumor on your spine um, as if, you know, you would have a tumor on your spine and can cause headaches or joint pain or pain in your back. And if um, he moves or jars a certain way, it could actually cause paralysis or worse. So um, we're pretty tender with him. Um, but the other kids, we try to um, get them out in the public and treat them as normal as possible. Okay. Um, but we also live in our little shell as well. So right. trying to find that balance has been 
something that I've struggled with quite right. a bit as a mom. All right, Sumi, your story. You have a son, I understand, right? I do. Uh, my son is 15 years old now, and he was diagnosed in kindergarten at about just right after his um, fifth, sixth birthday and with Crohn's disease, which is a form of inflammatory bowel disease. It's a family it includes ulcerative colitis and Crohn's, and it affects everything from as soon as you put a piece of food in your mouth all the way out of your system completely. So um, I won't get into details. But um, he, the first couple of years, it was a bit challenging. He was one of the earlier cases in this part of the country or just in general where you started to suddenly see pediatric cases of Crohn's disease. We'd never heard of it. Um, and so it was just something that really kind of caught our family by surprise. Mm. But um, after a couple of years of trial and error of different medications and things like that, he has been on an autoimmune suppressing medication um, very, very commonly used with things like rheumatoid arthritis and, mm-hmm. and treatment for other illnesses called Remicade. And he's been on it almost six years now and has been in remission. And essentially, if you asked him, he'd say, eh, I don't really feel like I have Crohn's anymore. And he does. He always has it. Mm-hmm. Um, as he's gone through puberty, it's been pretty challenging because um, his rapid growth has really, really put stress on his system. But we try to stay on top of it. And as you mentioned earlier, you kind of become an expert in things you never thought you would be an expert in like reading blood test results and things like that and and watching for things. Um, it's kind of interesting how that happens sort of by accident. I was a project yeah. manager with 401k plans before that. So uh, never in a million years did I think I would know these kinds of things in the medical arena. All right. And in case you're just tuning in this morning, all morning long, we're talking to a group of parents. They all are raising children with chronic illnesses. Now, Keith, let me ask you this, um, Keith. Now, you say that your daughter being diagnosed at such a young age, that created a lot of challenges. How so? Yeah, so with her being young, she couldn't really communicate at first her pain, and so she would cry all the time. But it was also around that hard baby time where you don't know if she's crying because she's in pain or she's having trouble sleeping or what's going on. So when when we were first kind of new to this, um, we just assumed she was a bad sleeper, you know, mm-hmm. like, oh, man, well, not getting real good rest tonight, you know. Well, then once she got diagnosed and we understood, we were, like, really on top of it, you know. We wouldn't let her cry herself to sleep. And, and you know, kudos to my wife, very strong woman. She would she would get up constantly, you know, and I usually go to work really early. So finding that good balance between parents and dealing with something that young that they can't communicate to you when they're in real pain, you just kind of got to look for things. Like her fingers would get stiff uh, when she would hold her sippy cup or she would, you know, just fall straight to her bottom when she would play instead of like crouching or kneeling down because her joints would be so stiff. So you just kind of got to watch for flare-ups and things. And, you know, like Sumi said, you kind of become a little, you know, semi-professional at, at finding those things and you know my wife's better than me at it <laughs> but <laughs> that's just mother nature i guess you know all right so. all right lisa let me ask you this now you talked about this you touched on this but your daughter is a teenager so you couple that with all the other things that teenagers go through and she has sickle cell how does that work all together to make this more even more challenging as a teenager um, dealing with the disease i just encourage her to be open talk to us about anything she's going through. Um, I think one of my defense mechanisms, whether she had an illness or not, whenever they're not away from, when they're not with us, when they get back with us, I want to know who was around you, what did they talk about, 
What did y'all watch? Mm-hmm. I want to know everything. So from when she could first talk, I always encouraged her to talk to me. You can tell mommy and daddy anything. I don't care what anybody's ever told you. If they try to, make, you know, instill fear in you, there's nothing to be afraid of but mommy and daddy if somebody bothers you. So, <laughs> you know, growing up, that kind of has helped me because, you know, I, I try to let her know that she used to didn't want to tell her friends that she had sickle cell because she thought that made her different. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, Simone, if you won't share with your friends that you have sickle cell, you can't go over their house and spend a night. You can't do anything. They can come here, but you can't go there. I mm-hmm. need to be able to tell their parents, these are the things you have to look for. If she starts getting quiet and not talking, there's something wrong. If she has a fever, you need to call 911 first and then call me. Get her to the hospital immediately. Children with a fever of 101 or more with sickle cell are immediately taken to the hospital. You can't just give them Tylenol because you don't know what's causing the fever. Okay. Sickle cell is a life and death disease. So I just encourage her and make her understand that it's very important for her to be open, honest. We don't we don't play like, oh, I'm not feeling good today, so I'm not gonna go home, go to school. We don't do that. <laughs> we don't we don't play that way because sometimes it, you know you're gonna be in that situation more often than not mm-hmm. than a normal child. So you know we have to have challenges in dealing with teachers and you know making them understand what she's going through and use a little bit of empathy. When they're dealing with a whole class of 30 kids, teenagers with their own things going every which way, mm-hmm. I just encourage her to talk about it and, you know, be open. And she's had a cell phone since she was four. So okay. you call mommy at any time. All right. There you go. <laughs> All right. Good, good. Now, Sumi, let me ask you this now. You talked about how you are now an expert, you know, on a lot of things. But what was it like going from when was your son diagnosed? He was in kindergarten. Okay. So for the first five years of his life, you had a quote unquote normal child. What was it like to go from having that quote unquote normal child to having this child that's now diagnosed with Crohn's disease? I think if you asked him, he would say, I worried constantly and all the time. You are my, I worry constantly. And my son would say, you know, would, and he kind of bought into that, if you will, if anything, if his stomach hurt or he was tired I would get nervous and I would get panicked. I would say for the first couple of years, because he really wasn't feeling normal in general. Um, We learned how to do things like spot bathrooms and scope them out in advance everywhere we went. I mean, I can tell you pretty much within a five mile radius of my house where you can use a public restroom and where I would, it would be ill-advised because that's a part of Crohn's disease. Now that's not been such an issue as he's done a lot better. But it's something I never in a million years would have thought of. I mean, there are we've stopped at some pretty strange places on the way to a soccer game <laughs> to use the restroom because when you when you got to go, you got to go. Yep. Um, and, you know, you've got a six year old kid or seven year old kid, depending on, you know, what the age is when they're really young. You have to be careful with that, too. I mean, he was a boy and I was a girl. Right. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't go into the restroom with him to make sure he was safe. So, I mean, it's it's really it. It definitely changes things very quickly. I will also say um, it gave me a lot less tolerance for the things that some of my peers complained about when it came to their kids. I just didn't have as much patience because I thought, you know, you're really worried about whether or not um, your child is making friends at school or is eating their school lunch. I'm worried about whether or not my kid's drinking enough water and eating enough food so he doesn't land in the hospital next week. Right. 
All right. Good point. Good point. Heather, let me ask you this now. We know you talked about this. You have six kids with chronic illnesses. How do you manage this all? Because (laughs) I'm sure everyone in this room can say, okay, it's a lot keeping one child in check with all these doctor's appointments and treatments and like that. But you have six. How do you make it work? It is total insanity. Now, um, Honestly, I and I have ADHD, so I have learned to adapt. I've had to learn to adapt, and that's the thing. Like people are always like, "Oh, you're superpowers, and you're a super parent because you have all these kids with all these illnesses." But that's not truly the case. I mean, you you just have to learn to adapt with what you're dealt. Um, so I've had to learn to be very organized, and I color code everything, and I have to write notes on everything. And you know, I'm sure you can imagine the amounts of uh, phone calls to insurance and denials and um, paperwork that's involved, um, IEP paperwork. I mean, I have a file for everything and I just have to keep it organized. I also have a book called Mom's Dead. Um, It's a book that it basically lays out for everybody who gets what formula at what rate and what are all the specialists that they see because we probably see for each child, I don't five or six specialists down at Children's at least, if not more. Um, So it lays out you know, their insurance it's got insurance cards, got their BCMH paperwork, which is a secondary program in Ohio for kids um, with chronic illness that um, you may or may not qualify for, depending on what condition your child has that I didn't even know existed until I entered this world of special needs parenting. Um, but it, it basically is a book that has my will, my um, paperwork for all my kids, their Insurance card, their birth certificates, everything in there because if something were to happen, I don't know. I don't know what would happen because I do keep it together and I don't I don't know. I just Are you the primary provider for your child? I am. Or children, I yeah, should say. I am. Okay. My husband works like seventy, eighty hours to try to support yeah. us. I mean um, it sounds like you yeah. mentioned earlier that your mom helps you out some. Absolutely. And so she would be, I guess, my main source of like go respite. Okay. Yeah, I don't really have respite, and that's, you know. That's another say. issue. We'll talk yeah. about that in a second here. Yeah. And in case you're just tuning in this morning, you're listening to Sunday Morning Magazine. I'm Rodney Lear. This morning, we're talking to parents who are raising chronically ill children. We're talking to Lisa. Lisa has a 16-year-old daughter diagnosed with sickle cell disease. Keith has a 2-year-old daughter that was diagnosed with a severe form of juvenile arthritis. Is that right? Yep. Heather is living with a chronic illness herself, and she's raising six children as well who all have special needs, and most of them have chronic illnesses as well. Uh, Sumi has a teenage son who was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. So you have these chronic illnesses. They're always coming up. These illnesses factor in just about everything that you do. What are flare-ups like, and what is a bad day for your child? What does that look like? Lisa. Primary example is this December. She... um went to spend the day with a girlfriend. Um, she had been having some pain the day before, but we gave her medicine and she was fine. Um, medicine could be oxy or extra strength Tylenol. Just depends on the level of pain she has at the time. Um, but I was a little leery of letting her go out, but I did because I'm always trying to let her be normal. Um, I went out with some girlfriends for a birthday dinner. On my way home, she called me, and she's like, Mommy, I'm not feeling well. Um, I think I need you to come and get me. And I said, okay. Um, It wasn't even five minutes later she called back, and she's like, Mommy, I need somebody to come and get me right now. I can't can't take it anymore. I said, well, what's wrong? She's like, I'm having pain in my legs, and I feel like I can't walk, and I'm scared. So she went to a level 10 pain. I said, okay, well, call Daddy. 
Well, of course, in my mind, she wasn't going to call daddy fast enough. So I called daddy Mm -hmm. and I said, I need you to go pick up Simone and I'm on my way. Um, He picked her up at the girlfriend's house. And sometimes we try and say, you know, Simone, do you want to try and take care of this at home or do you want to go to the hospital? And he said that immediately she's just is crying. So he's on his way to the hospital. Well, he's decides to run a red light, one of them anyway, because there was no traffic. We were, we live in Colerain, and um, he was pulled over by an officer, and the officer asked him why didn't he call ambulance, and he said because I could get her faster, get her there faster. Um, that was another ordeal, but anyway, we got to the hospital, and um, she was automatically um, admitted. She had pain everywhere. Um, it was moving all over her body. Um, they gave her um, intravenous morphine, um, which didn't help. Um, she then developed mm-hmm. a fever. Um, that episode kind of turned into a 15-day stint with several days in ICU because she developed pneumonia and acute chest syndrome. She couldn't breathe. She couldn't talk or anything. Um it happened so quickly. It happened so quickly. I'm sorry, Lisa. I'm sorry. Okay. Is this yeah. a good idea for to have me talk about the bad days? I'm sorry. I don't Yes, because yeah. if no, we yeah. don't talk about it, then people won't know. Right. Okay. right. People Absolutely. don't understand right. okay. what you're I'm sorry, you were getting emotional. I'm I'm it's never okay. good. I'm never good with that. It's oh. okay. We always get emotional. <laughs> okay. Right? okay. <laughs> I was say that. Okay. If I haven't cried, it's a bad day anyway. So uh, I mean part uh, of parenting uh, a kid with chronic illness okay, is sue crying me. a little bit every sue once me, in a while. What's a bad day like for you at your house with your sons? With your son with Crohn's disease. Well, you know, he has, I honestly, I, I'm not going to complain for a second because he has mostly good days. But Halloween, about a year and a half ago, I was all ready to finish off one of my kids' costumes. It was his last year in his mind to go because he was an eighth grader. So, like, that afternoon when everybody was at school, my goal was to get costumes done. Sean woke up that morning and did not feel well. And I said, is it Crohn's sick or is it sick sick? And at 13, 14 years old, they know the difference better than I do. And um, he looked at me, he said, it's Crohn's sick. And I said, all right, is it we need to go to the ED sick or is it I can take some Tylenol and a few at-home meds and control it sick? He's like, I think we need to go to the ED. And I haven't heard him say something like he's the ED, uh, the emergency department. That's the technical term for the ER. Okay, yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. (laughs) Okay, okay. Um, News to me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all learning this again. Go ahead, tell me. So, um, because it's more than one room. So he said, "I need to go to the ED," and I was shocked because, quite honestly, he hadn't been that kind of sick with Crohn's since third grade, and here we are in eighth grade. And I said, "All right, well, I mobile. I mean, I've got." A bag ready to go. Can I just ask this one question before you go on? When he says, I need to go to the ED, do you instantly just go into panic mode? No. Okay, good. I go into mobilize. for you. Right. You can't. If you panic every yeah. time something like that happens, you're, you're going to paralyze your own child with fear. Yep. And you're not going to be able to move forward. I mean, right. the biggest yep. thing with chronic good illness is... Every single day, you have to figure out how to put one foot in front of the other mm-hmm. and keep moving forward and keep your head up. Because if you get too bogged down in the fear and the panic, there's time for that later. Right. A few yeah. days later, you can get caught up in that and have a moment is what I like to call it. Um, but at the time that you are in crisis mode, I think you – It's I don't know where it comes from, but you just have to have this ability to pull it all together, get out the door, 
get all the data and information you need. So when you show up at the emergency room, they know you know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And once you've been there so many times, you know what to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And so you, you, we got your son to, he wanted to go to the ED. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yep. And so what, what happened? So when we got to the ED, um, I was so, it's kind of funny. I was so knowledgeable about all of the medical details and I recommended some specific labs that they run immediately oh, Wow! that um, the resident, I recognize the resident because of the length of their jacket, asked me if I was a doctor and I said, no, but you would be amazed at how much information and knowledge I have about treating this condition. And then the um, next person that came was, um, I think, a fellow and they also asked me if I was a doctor. I said, no, but have you run these tests yet? Because we won't know anything until you run these blood panels about what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then um, the third doctor was the attending. And the attending said, we definitely are seeing some unusual things um, with his with his blood tests. And we want the doctors want to admit him. So um, it was so unexpected. Needless to say, my younger kid's costume never got done. He, he kind of worked through this costume basket I have and, and got creative for Halloween. My oldest son was mostly upset because he felt it was his last year trick-or-treating and he wasn't going to be able to do that again. In his mind, he said, I'll never do that again. Um, And we proceeded to spend the next three days in the hospital running a whole series of tests just to make sure Mm -hmm. things were not really out of control. Mm -hmm. Um, It was not how I planned to spend the first few days of November. Okay, so Keith, what does a bad day look like for your daughter who was diagnosed with juvenile arthritis? What does a bad day look like for her? So a bad day is, like I said, my wife is way better at indicating these days than me. Um, I'm usually what my wife calls the fun parent, but I get that title so too. Hey. I can relate. I can relate to keeping everything positive and stuff. But a bad day is uh, she's just restless. You know, she just doesn't. She doesn't nap. Again, she's at that younger age where she still takes a nap during the day. Um, so she doesn't rest really well. She won't eat a whole lot either. She's just really irritated. And like Sumi, we've had a lot of good days, more than bad days. So I don't want to talk like this happens all the time. She's actually really fun kid, really intelligent kid. I mean, she can tell you her address. She's, she knows every letter A to Z animal to relate it to what the animal eats, sleeps and I mean, everything. It's incredible. So She can teach me all that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's more good days than bad, but a bad day is she's really restless, and, you know, it's it's hard when they're that young because you want to nurture them and try to communicate to them that, hey, it's going to be okay, and, mm-hmm. you know, but with her being so smart, she's actually too smart, if you know what I mean, because mm-hmm. she can play that in both ways, you know, so we don't know if she's – being a two-year-old, going to be three-year-old soon, and we don't know if it's her JRA. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like you got to monitor that too. And so, you know, my wife usually just checks over and, okay. you know, it's okay. like a nurse to her. Okay, Heather, in your household, what does a bad day look like? <laughs> oh, oh, give us the abbreviated <laughs> version. I'll give you two examples. Uh, There's okay. probably a million I could choose from. Um, but I'll give you two of the illnesses that we contend with the most. Um the first one is called POTS syndrome, which is postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. And it goes along. It's a comorbidity of um, the Ehlers-Danlos condition. So many of my kids have the EDS or Ehlers-Danlos, and then they have this POTS syndrome alongside of it. Um, so basically uh, what happens is um, an example would be on a given day where my daughter wakes up. She's like, I'm not feeling well. And you can just see it. Her face is sort of pale. 
Um, one of the treatments for POTS is additional fluids and salt. So we start with that. You know, you need have you had your fluids? How are you on salt? You need to go get a salty snack, get a get your fluids. Um, she may not be able to stand up. She may not be able to get beyond, you know, 20 degrees in her bed without feeling like she's going to pass out. So a bad day for her would be one full of pain um, in her joints because of the Ehlers-Danlos and then just not being able to be active um, because she can't get her blood pressure to regulate. And basically um, everything, it's also called autonomic nervous dysfunction. So anything automatic in your body could go haywire. So it could be from going from hot to cold. Um, She doesn't feel the sensations the right way. So then her body doesn't act the way it should. So she may feel like she's got pins and needles in her hands. She may feel like her limbs are falling asleep. She may be tingling. It just its a variety of things. Um, But I also have um, two kids that are diagnosed on the spectrum, um, autism spectrum. So a bad day for them could be um, having like a sensory processing meltdown where um, they're needing constant sensory input as in like your senses. So um, squeezing and and tactile things that, you know, stuff for their – Hands to keep busy and um, a swing. We have like a sensory swing in our house, but a bad day for them could be banging their head on the wall to the point where we end up in the ER because they've blocked themselves out from hitting, you know, their head on the wall or punching holes in the wall and not being able to regulate those behaviors because they're frustrated and can't verbally express it. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though they're verbal in the moment, um, they're not able to say, hey, I'm feeling this way. Um, I'm frustrated. So I feel like. I can bang my head on the wall instead of, you know, coming up and saying, hey, you know, they just bang their head. Wow. So it just depends. We'll be back with more right after this. Stick around. We'll be back with more Sunday Morning Magazine in a moment.